Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. series in First Peter, uh, Foreigners in a Broken World. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter 1. We're just going to do a quick overview of the first chapter, remind you of what has gone before. Some of you have heard this a number of times, but it always uh, is good to repeat and uh, remind us what has covered. Because <clears throat> the book actually builds. It starts at the beginning in chapter 1, and uh, it starts with these words, God's chosen people living in a, as foreigners. goes on to talk about the fact that God knew you. Not only did he know who you were, but he chose you. And not only did he choose you, but he made you holy. And as a result, you have been made clean by the blood of Christ. And that's part of what we were singing about this morning, wasn't it? Talking about the significance of Christ in our lives. He's at the center, and that's going to be... A, uh, the focus of this morning's message. The next section, though, is starting at verse uh, 3, and this is where it is about hope, hope and eternal life. And the fact is, is that because God has chosen us, he's worked in us, he's done a work of renewal and restoration in our lives, uh, we are put in a place where we can enter into God's promises. And his promise is eternal. It's an eternal life. It's one that gives us great hope for the future. It also is one that helps us when we face different trials. You see, difficult things come into everyone's life. Derek used the uh, parable that's in from Matthew 7, where it talks about storms, and he talked about how storms hits all of our lives. Well, it doesn't matter if we're followers of Christ or not. We all face storms. And the reality is, is those storms can knock us off our pin. We can lose our step if we're not rooted in Jesus Christ. The fact is, is that our hope in him is what gives us courage to stand in the face of a storm. To, yes, acknowledge the hurt and the difficulty of that storm, but also then to look past it and realize that there's something coming out the other side. And so in the last part of that section on hope, it talks about the fact that we get to know who Jesus is through our experiences through our resting in him and seeing him respond to us. And we have a greater confidence as we have hope in him. I don't know about you, but there have been many times where I've come to a point in my life where I've questioned whether my faith is solid enough. I've gone, is this really true? I mean, it sounds sort of fanciful. It sounds a little extreme. And then I back up and I start reflecting and reviewing how God has worked in my life, the different experiences I've had with him. And as I reflect on it and as I reflect on what the Bible says about him and what I've experienced, those things come together to be, for me to be able to say again, yes, this is what I stand on. This is what I hope in. You see, if we don't allow Christ to work in us, we don't experience the give and take of a relationship with him. 
what ends up happening, we start to question whether that relationship is real. It's really only theory until we experience the give and take of a relationship. One of the things that happens in uh, people's lives, married couples fall in love, they live their lives together, and then for whatever reason, through busyness of work or uh, disruption of children or whatever it might be, their relationship starts to grow apart. And then as it grows apart, if they don't take steps to re-engage that relationship, it falls apart. It doesn't just grow apart, it falls apart. It requires us to be engaged in the relationship, allowing the other person in the relationship to be in on the secrets, in on the struggles, to be partnering together to work things out, and that's what it is with Christ. The next section is the tough one. That was what we talked about last week, where it says, God said, I am holy, therefore you must be holy. And it is that that we are moving towards. The statement is almost like, I am holy, so you must be holy now. But when you read through the passage, you realize it's a growing thing. You see, holiness is this idea of us being separated from the world. Not only that, but there is a desire in our lives to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus. In other words, to set aside our longings and things that lead us astray and embrace the calling of Christ. And then finally, holiness has to do with being committed, dedicated, focused on doing what God calls us to do. At the end of chapter 1, there's these words. This is verse 23. For you have been born again, but not of a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And it goes on to say this. And it goes on, people are like grass, the scripture says. Their beauty is like flowers in the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In these couple of verses, <clears throat> it summarizes the foundation of our faith. First of all, the eternal living word of God. That's Jesus Christ. It's rooted in him. The first song that uh, Derek led us in this morning, Jesus Christ, Cornerstone. At least I think it was the first song. He is the cornerstone. But that cornerstone is revealed to us in the word of God. The word of the Lord that remains forever. And this is a record of those words. <clears throat> and so this morning we want to take a look at this idea of Jesus as the cornerstone. So Second Peter, or First Peter chapter two, starting at verse four. There it is. Oh, two two, skip to the next one. There it is. Pretty small. Can you guys all see that? Okay, <clears throat> that's good. It's always difficult with the different cameras to know how big the font is supposed to be. So in this one, you are coming to Christ. If he is the living, <clears throat> the living eternal word, this is the word of God. <clears throat> it goes on to say that you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. I put in Ephesians chapter 2.20 there because it's a key verse, and it says, together we are his well, I better see where up close. I don't have to turn around. I can do it this way. There we go. 
Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> Yesterday evening I was reflecting and working through the message, <clears throat> and I'd forgotten to take a look at what a cornerstone was. Do you know what a cornerstone is? Do you know what its purpose is? Oh, some of you might. I thought it had to do with making this foundation stable, <clears throat> but when you look at the big buildings today, or any of the buildings from the past, the cornerstone really wasn't what made the building stable. Jesus, Jesus is the key, uh, chief cornerstone. But what's the purpose of a cornerstone? So I looked it up. <clears throat> and there's lots of different things out there, but in ancient days, the cornerstone was the first stone laid in the foundation. It was the one that got placed <clears throat> and it had to be placed in the right place, in the right direction. In other words, the cornerstone established the position and the direction of the building. Everything was built off of that. And so it didn't matter which way you went. If, if it was a 90 degree corner, they built it right off that cornerstone. And it orientated the building in the direction it was supposed to point. Jesus Christ is our chief cornerstone. He is the first stone to be laid in your life. He is the one that establishes the direction you are going. He is the one that orientates your life in the direction you are to go. The Ephesians passage talks about the fact that he is the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation along with the apostles of prophets, with Jesus being the cornerstone. What does that indicate? <clears throat> the prophets and the, pro and the gospel... Let me make sure I got that. Apostles and prophets, they both reflect Christ. If you're going to understand the prophets, the, prophet, the word prophet really is just referring to the Old Testament. You see, you had the former prophets, which is everything before the book of Psalms, and you had the latter prophets, which is everything after the book of Psalms. And those were the prophets. They were the ones that revealed the work of God in the past. But to understand that work, Jesus Christ needs to be connected to it. And the apostles, of course, whereas all the New Testament is the apostles. <clears throat> the authors of the New Testament all had in some way a relationship with the apostles of Christ. And they reveal Christ in a different way. And so Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the one that establishes the direction who establishes the focus, the orientation that we have in this world. One of the things that I love about Matthew chapter 16 is it talks about the fact that Jesus builds his church. 16:18, Matthew 16:18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is the one that is building his church. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, the very next verse we look at, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. <clears throat> As followers of Jesus, do you recognize this? Do you realize that in some way you are being built together, connected with each other, intentionally brought together, joined together in Christ, 
You're being built upon the apostles, prophets, Jesus' chief cornerstone. Your lives are being connected through that process of understanding God's purposes and intentions in Jesus for you as a community. <clears throat> and part of that is being holy priests. The high priest was chosen to intercede between man and God. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5 talks about the fact that the high priest had to be someone from amongst the people who would understand the way to connect with God. Every one of you who are followers of Jesus have been put into that place. That place of having experienced Jesus in your lives, having experienced his working in you through your relationship with him, and now you can understand the needs and the pain of other people. And you can take what you have experienced and speak life to the people around. That's why you're living stones. You're being built together, but you are being built together, and your intention is also to recruit other stones and bring them into life. You're holy people, chosen by God. So you are living stones. I sometimes hate technology. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We skip down a couple of verses here. And this is the core of it. But you are not like that, for you are chosen people. Here's that word chosen again. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. <clears throat> when I talk about Jesus building his church, have you ever wondered what he is building, what it looks like? That's what this verse is about. It's talking about the construction of his church. Chosen, that's been established. Royal priests, <clears throat> I got to say, what does it take to be a royal? You have to be born into the family. Yeah, you can be called a royal. We have the Royal Alec Hospital. We have the, a number of royals around the city. These are also been labeled because the royalty of Canada has made a choice, right? In our case, it was Queen Elizabeth who attended the opening, I believe, of the Royal Alec. But it was also the fact that they have acknowledged that this is a special place. As royal priests, we have been adopted into the family of God. So the next slide is about being chosen people, adopted. Royal priesthood being family. Holy nation being a community. <clears throat> and ultimately, God is building a holy nation through us. Mark Twain, the humorist from a previous century, he made this comment. I'm not sure he was a follower of Christ, but this is his view of the church in that, that time. He said, the church is an outpost of heaven on earth. Do you believe that? His church is an outpost of heaven on earth. 
If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, when you read that chapter, you'll find that God is building or creating a new people. He's taking people from the Jewish faith and the Gentile faith, which is everybody else, and he's bringing us together with nothing dividing us, and he's making us into a new people. And we belong to him, and we are a part of him. We are a part of his nation. We're becoming a holy nation. And God's intention is to build something that is so attractive that the world around looks for it, longs for it. I come in back in the day. I read a little book called uh, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. Anyone here old enough to remember that book or having read it? No, I'm the only one. Too bad. It was a good one. If you can find it, read it. But it was basically about what it meant to be the body of Christ, that we were a loving community, an accepting community, and a forgiving community. And I can remember reading that book <clears throat> and reflecting on what it took to bring people into faith, reflecting on how did my friends, my neighbors, make the transition from living outside of the church to becoming a part of the church. When you think of the church today and how it's viewed in the world, what are the chances that people would just randomly show up at church without relationship? Not very likely, is it? We have established in the big picture, the world has established that we're irrelevant as a group of people. And yet, if we are a people who love, accept, and forgive, how appealing is that? Think about it. If people could come and just be accepted for who they were right here. I have to say, I've been impressed by this community that you have done a great job on that. There's a variety of people here, and you are such a diverse group, and I've seen you interact with each other, and that draws people. But to be loved, to be cared for, to be forgiven, to be acknowledged as who you are. As we build into that, <clears throat> we present a different picture, a reality that is attractive to the world around us. And that's what this passage is about. You know, when I was uh, <clears throat> four, 13 years old, my parents already, I was, I'm the oldest of four at that point, and my parents and I went to, our family went to my grandparents' place. My mom was a, or my grandma was a, uh, she took care of infants who were being uh, taken from the hospital and being prepared for adoption. And there was a little girl there <clears throat> this Christmas, and uh, she had just been born in November, and so she was like six weeks old. And we arrived, and my parents fell in love with her. And they chose her. In those days, you, very often you couldn't choose the baby you wanted to adopt. You applied for an adoption, and then you had to wait to see who they'd give you. But in this case, <clears throat> they said, we want Terry Lynn to be our daughter. And so they pursued adoption. And my dad, if you knew my dad, 
Some of you maybe remember him because you might have known him from other places. But my dad uh, was a force of nature. When he got something in his mind, he just pursued it. And so he applied for adoption, wrote a letter explaining why, and then he pursued the social worker, harassed them. I shouldn't say that. He probably didn't harass them, but he certainly pursued them. The end result was is that <clears throat> they had an interview, fam uh, family, whatever they call those things, assessment within a month. And by June, Terry was in our home. She was adopted. Now, <clears throat> didn't stop there. My dad, I'm not sure if he knew what attachment theory was. Those of you who know what that is understand. But my dad did something that he did with none of the rest of our kids. And the rest of us were all very jealous of Terry. My dad came home from work <clears throat> every lunchtime, had a lunch, and then he laid down on the couch and had a 15-minute nap. And every day, for 15 minutes, Terry laid on his chest. And <clears throat> she started to become a part of the family. Mom had her all day long, and so the attachment from mom was pretty simple. But for dad, he very consciously put her right here. Do you know that Christ carries you right here? He wants to be attached, connected to you. He wants that for you. And then as she grew, the rest of us connected with her. <clears throat> Being the oldest, I was a little protective of her. My sister next to me <clears throat> became second mom to her. And my sister Karen and I were the two oldest. And below Karen are two boys. <clears throat> and you needed, this is funny, teenagers, pay attention to this. Those two boys, Kevin and Wayne, took Terry everywhere they went. We became a community. <clears throat> Our family was this. There's mom and dad, Jim and Karen, and the kids. The three kids were locked together <clears throat> in partnership in life. You need to know that between the uh, uh, Kevin, who was the older of the three, and Terry, there were six years difference. And yet, as she grew, the boys just carried her along. As they became teenagers, she was a preteen. I can remember they're going out and doing stuff, and Terry went along. That's what building the church is. It's engaging in each other's lives. It's walking alongside people and including them making them a part of who you are. If there's anything I've picked up from Shem and Quinn about Eden, <clears throat> is that's what they want to do. They want to create a space where they can be alongside and with people. But that's the purpose of the church in general. That's what we're called to. We're called to be so connected with each other 
<clears throat> that when the next person is adopted, they're just enfolded amongst us. Back in the day, <clears throat> when I was growing up in a church, process was very different than it is today. Back in my day, you didn't come into the church or become a part of the church until you became a follower of Jesus. Today, if people have a relationship with anyone in this room and they're welcome to come and join us, and they can come and be a part of us, can't they? Because belonging is important. A place of belonging is important. And in that context, they can learn more about Christ and come to a place of choosing him. But they don't have to choose him to belong here. They can come and be here because we love them. And we want them to be a part with us. And we want them to be engaged with us in the things that we do. So the end of the chapter, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. You notice that? We're still temporary residents and foreigners. To keep away from worldly desires that wage against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. we cannot lose the fact that God is asking us to be separate from this world. But in that context, we also need to realize that we are to be engaged with the world. Separation from the world is not about separating and not being engaged with them. Because this passage actually talks about the fact about how we be careful, how we live amongst our neighbors, caring for them, caring for what's happening around us being engaged with cleaning up the neighborhood, being engaged with our neighbors and helping them or them helping us. It's a two-way street, right? The reality is, is that we are called to be different. We are called to be a holy nation, separated, set apart, intentional. And this idea of us being uh, ambassadors as a church, as individuals, is right at the core of this. We continue to recognize that, yes, <clears throat> we live in Canada and we are follower, or we are Canadian citizens or some variation on that theme, but we, this is our home, but we are actually foreigners here because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are different than the world around us. Not in the sense that we're odd, but rather in the sense that we live by a different standard, and that standard will put us at odds in the world around us. And they might not like some of the things we stand for, but that doesn't mean we have to be arrogant. It doesn't mean that we have to say we're better than them. It just means that we live differently, and as we live differently, the differences will show up in a way that brings honor to God. We are chosen people, chosen, 
intentionally to belong to God. We are a holy priest. We are priests who have experienced what this world throws at us, but we've experienced the grace of God in that, and we can take what we've experienced and give it back. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, it says that we have a God and Father, a God of comfort, a Father of compassion, who comforts us in every circumstance so that we can comfort others with the same comfort we have received. You see, what God has done in our lives is not for us alone. What God has done in our lives is to prepare us to be able to do it for other people. And in that, we become attractive. The gospel becomes something that draws people. It's not about our belief system. It's about us living our belief system. It's about us acting in a way that is Christian, a follower of Christ. And in doing so, what happens is the world takes notice because we receive them, we embrace them, we love them, we say yes to them. And in doing so, we find opportunity to share the grace of God with them as he has shown it to us. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your purposes and intentions in building us very specifically to be your people called by your name. That we would come, Lord, before you and allow you to work in us the things that need to change in us so that, Lord, we are prepared to help others in the way that you've helped us. So, Lord, guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.